The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, Heritage. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, uh, none of that, none of that, none of that. It's good to be back with you guys. We've actually, uh, at least for most of the services, been here with you, and you just didn't know because we were sneaky. Um, snuck in the back and just kind of observed. And I'll tell you, it was just really cool. There, there was one real, real benefit to being gone for a while like that and seeing how the Lord is just moving through the leadership, through the people who spoke, through the people who led worship. And, and I mean this sincerely, like it's a good thing for you to realize that the Lord will take care of things with or without you. And to learn that the Lord is our true shepherd, the Lord is our true leader, and that um, as much as we might like being used by him, the truth is, is that he doesn't need us. And there's a comfort in that, that God's in control, that God's doing things. And that was, um, for a guy who wrestles with all sorts of anxiety that's directly related to ministry, that was a good thing for me to learn for the last month. So um, God bless you guys to the guys that spoke and, and all those things. Um, in my absence and all that, man, just you guys crushed it, and I really appreciate it, and you ministered to my soul. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it, was, it was good to be hearing teachings about how to hear from the Lord when you're taking a break so that you can go and seek the Lord, you know? So um, thank you guys, all of you guys, um, for doing that. A um, couple of announcements really quickly. Uh, first of all, uh, next week, as you know, is everything changes for us next week. Next week, that curtain comes down, everyone's up here, and our services are at? 8.30 and 10.30. That's correct. I was here that week when we did the poll. <laughs> as soon as all the hands went up, all the staff started messaging one another, 8.30 and 10.30. <laughs> it was pretty much a no-brainer. Um, so that's what we're going to do. I want to encourage you guys, like, um, I, I know hopefully that puts you guys a little more on the fence. Like, that's the intention. Maybe if you're a football fan, you want to get done a little early, 8.30 service might be for you. For the rest of you, I assure you, the second teaching is always going to be the best. That, that's just the way it always goes. Like you figure out all the bugs, you figure out the stuff you forgot to say, all that kind of stuff. So maybe that'll push some of you towards the 1030 service. And then to that same end, um, if, you, if you guys come and you're noticing one is absolutely packed and one is not, then I encourage you to even pray about serving one another within the church and those who might come and join us later and finding those empty seats to sit in whatever service that might be. Um, but we just trust that this is what the Lord has for us for this next season. And uh, we're excited to see what the Lord's going to do. And we have some other surprises that'll be unveiled and everything next week. It's just going to be almost like a relaunch for us in the fall. So really excited to see you guys next week at 8.30 and 10.30. A couple of other qu uh, announcements. Uh, Milestone, our Milestones program, which is um, a program that we have in place to help educate um, uh, uh, equip parents to lead their children um, has a pretty big deal coming up here on uh, I don't see the date uh, Saturday August 8th this is our movement toward maturity it is for freshmen and sophomores in high school you guys will be getting together on that Saturday morning with Pastor Jeremy, and the goal of uh, this time together is to, to kind of define what biblical manhood and biblical womanhood looks like, and to be able to set, if you will, some milestones, as we call it, or some, some targets for us to be able to hit, for our children to be able to hit as they're advancing in maturity. Um, it'll be a time, it's not just for the kids, it's, it's mainly for the parents, to be quite honest, but, but Jeremy will be kind of facilitating discussion between parents and children, and, and just a 
really important time. So I strongly encourage you to set that time aside if you have a freshman or sophomore in high school. That is on October 8th, Saturday from 8 until 1230 over here at the Hub. I think lunch is provided. It's free, but they do need you to sign up. So if you could sign up online, heritagefellowship.net, or maybe stop by the info table on the way back, um, or grab Jeremy, um, they'd be more than happy to help you. Um, In addition, on October 22nd, we're going to have an equipping thing for children who, if you wish to have your child be baptized, I I said children, for parents, and it's not baptized, this is my first week back, I'm working out the rust, Um, so this is uh, for parents of children who want to have your child dedicated. Um, Our church got to the point we couldn't do the individual dedications anymore because every single week we were doing dedications and and it was just becoming really complicated. So so we've, as part of our milestone program, built a much more, I think, um, beefy and and just a really cool program to help equip parents on on really raising a generation that serves Christ. And so on October 22nd, there's going to be an event where you guys will all get together, um, you parents, and they'll be talking with Pastor Brent, I believe, leads that one. Is that true? Pastor Brent? Yes. Pastor Brent will be leading that one, and then our, our dedication date will be coming up on November 6th. So if your child, if you want to have your child dedicated, please get a hold of us. Um, do they sign up online for that, Brent? Yes. Sign up online or information table or call the office, talk to Brent, whichever one will get you guys all hooked up on that. So that is the equipping date is on the 22nd of October, and dedication is on November 6th. That is it. Um, so if you guys would now turn to Philippians chapter 4. And stand with me as we read the word of the Lord. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4. Our focus today is going to be on verse 8. But together we're going to read. And also, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, just wave your hand around like this. Or like pretend your team just scored a touchdown or whatever. And one of these guys will make sure you get a Bible so that you can follow along with us. Um, But we're going to read, for context's sake, verses 6 through 9. Though our focus will really be on verse 8 this morning. See if you guys have forgot what you're supposed to do when we do this or not. Philippians 4 verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. You guys did well. A plus. F back there. F. I just, school's back in. I'm sorry. God loves you anyway. Let's pray. Father, I echo what Pastor Sam said at the end of worship, that we need to hear from the one who makes sense of all things, the one who can teach us and lead us and shepherd us. And that is most certainly not me. Jesus, we need you to speak to us. We need your word to come alive in our hearts. We need your spirit to to awaken our minds, our soul to your truth. We need conviction, correction, comfort. We need you to lead your people. So God, we pause now and ask that your spirit would blow through this room. 
that your spirit would open all of our hearts, minds, and souls, that we would hear everything that you have for us, that, Lord, you would even protect your church from me, but that, God, you would, your words would stand true, that things that are said that are of you would stick, things that might not reflect your heart or will for us might fall away and wither. God, we just pray that you would teach your people and that your words of life would fill us this morning. So God, we just pray, Lord, let the words of my mouth and let the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, my King, my Rock, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, we're back in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. It's been a month since we were here, since we had a little bit of a segue for a while, and we spent a couple of weeks looking at fear and anxiety and peace, and we're really going to be picking up on some of, to some degree, those same kind of things because of the context in which this particular passage is being addressed. But the focus of what we're going to talk about today is not so much about fear, it's not so much about anxiety, it's about thinking about how we think, about what we think, about thinking. And this is a really important, what we think about how we think is really crucial. Our thoughts really determine what we do. Thoughts precede decisions, thoughts precede so many different things in our lives and they kind of navigate in that way. And, And so really in a lot of ways, our actions even are a byproduct of what or how we think. And the Bible makes it really clear that Christianity is a thinking faith. It's not a blind faith. Most people think that Christianity, that we as Christians are just blind, ignorant followers of myths that were handed down for us or to us year after year after year, and we've never had the ability or the common sense to just stop and think about the things that are being handed to us. It's not true. The Bible encourages us to think. It talks about our mind. It's our brains and our minds and our thought processes are God-given. And the scripture can absolutely stand up to any depth of thinking. Some of the greatest thinkers in the history of the world were godly Christian men. Not just in the past, but even today. And the Bible can stand up to any analysis, any criticism, any scrutiny. It encourages you, dive, go deep as you want. You will never exhaust the depths of the truth of God's word. And people and thinkers have come and gone for year after year, decade after decade, century after century, and yet the word of God is still here just as God said it would be. But that's not the kind of thinking that we're really talking about in this particular text. It's not an apologetic text. It's not a dig in and think about these things text so much. It's about really the power of thinking and the result of what we think about and how we think about. Because this is, this is how Alistair Begg puts it, and I love the way he says this. I wish I could do his Scottish accent because it would sound so much more profound. Um, but this is what he says. You are not who you think you are, but you are, or excuse me, but how you think you are. Let me say that again. You are not who you think you are, but how you think you are. There's a comma in there. You're not who you think you are, but how you think you are. And so the idea is that our thoughts, the way we think, the stuff we consume, the things that we surround ourselves with in that have a huge degree of influence and power in who we actually are, who we become, what we do, how we live. And so therefore, it's really important that we learn to think the right way. And the scriptures tell us this, right? I mean, in Romans, you have Romans 1 through 11, which is like the most eloquent, deep, 
unbelievable uh, um, exposition of the gospel, of, of who we were before Christ, the depths of our despair and our, our absolute rebellion against God, and yet the fact that God in grace has come for us, apart from our deserving it, that he sent Christ on our behalf, that, that the cross has reconciled men to God, that we're saved by faith, and, and all this stuff is just laid out so beautifully. And then chapter 12 of Romans is the therefore part. The gospel's laid out, and then in light of that, therefore... What are we to do? And what is it he says? You know this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then what does he say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So so this is what he says. Man, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done, man. You had rebelled against God. You were dying in your sin. You were in so much trouble. You needed rescue. And not only did a Savior come, but God himself is the Savior who went through so much suffering on your behalf and took all of the punishment that you did. And he's granted all of this forgiveness to you. And now he calls you in faith to be part of his family, to be adopted. And then Romans 8, the the fact that heaven is to come and God's doing great things and all this stuff's laid out. And he says, therefore, church, to Two things. First of all, give yourself to the one who gave himself to you. And second of all, think differently. Like, don't be conformed to the world anymore. You're reborn now into a new kingdom with a new king. And so our minds need to be transformed. The way we think changes. There's a right way to think and a wrong way to think now as Christians, and he wants us to think differently. So the question is then, how do we think as Christians? What is Christian thinking? Right Christian thinking, what is it that that looks like? Now, some people would say that thinking Christianly, and they would use this text even as an example for that, would say to think Christianly means to only think about things that are Christian. To to open our mind to all the things of God and to close our mind to anything that is not representative or not explicitly Christian. And I reject that completely. I don't believe that's the case at all. A a Christian mind is not someone who only thinks about explicitly Christian things. But a Christian mind is one who thinks about all things through the lens of the Scripture and the Bible. A Christian mind is someone, it's a worldview. It's why we refer to it as a worldview, that we can think about anything that's out there in the world, but we look at it through the lens of the Scripture and specifically through the truth of the gospel. And through those things, we interpret everything that goes on out there. Our minds now, our minds are constrained by the truth of Scripture. They become the alley. You know, if you're at a bowling alley and you get the bumpers up so you can get a 300, you know, and you still don't, and then you feel really stupid. But you know those things? Like our minds are constrained by the Scriptures. But I don't believe that the idea is that we only then think about nothing but the Scriptures or Christian music or Christian movies or Christian etc, etc, etc. To do that will pull you right in. You're separating from the world and you get into the dreaded Christian bubble. And and, and if you do that, you you can't have any influence or any mission with regards to people that are outside of your Christian bubble. If we're salt and light, light does you no good hidden under a bush. Salt does you no good if it stays in the salt shaker. It's got to get out there. So to just isolate ourselves into a Christian bubble um, removes our ability to influence anyone else in the world. Paul knows this really well. Paul examples or exemplifies this really well. In Acts chapter 17, he's in Athens. That's a thinking place, right? 
And he's in Athens and he tells these guys, you know, I've been walking around, I've been observing, I've been seeing all the different things, I've been learning about your way of life and I've been seeing your idols and learning about all these different idols that are out there. In fact, I ran across this one and it's an idol and it says, to the unknown God. And and guess what? I, I know the God that is unknown to you. I know who it is that you've been looking for and and I can declare him to you. And so here's these great thinkers in Athens and they're hearing all these things Paul's saying and what's their response? Like, well, sounds like he's babbling, sounds like he's running on about who knows what nonsense, but you know what? We probably want to hear what he has to say. We probably want to listen to what it is he said. He's talking about some stuff here that that seems to relate to where we are. Maybe it'd be a good idea for us to bring him in and actually hear what he has to say. And so they invite him into this meeting of these thinkers to be able to sit and let him speak to them. He gains audience with these people because of his ability to understand the world that's around them and be able to connect Christ to the context of their lives. And the reality is, is a lot of Christians, especially if we adopt the Christian bubble mentality, we would never be invited to that meeting. But we want to be. We want to be able to go into dark places with the light of Jesus Christ. And so, so this idea of removing ourselves from the Christian bubble is not something that we should buy into whatsoever. I mean, this is the idea of being in the world, but not of the world. So Jesus himself in his, um, I refer to it as his dying prayer, though he didn't die at that moment, but the, the Garden of Gethsemane, as Christ is there right before going to the cross, he, he, he's in this place and he's praying right before the most horrible pain and punishment imaginable was about to be put on him that was, it was destined for us. But he comes and takes it on our behalf and he knows how bad it's gonna be. He knows better than we do. We don't even have a, 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 an inkling of what he realized and the stress and fear and anxiety and all those things that he was under in that moment, this is where Christ is. And in that prayer, what does he say? I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I am not the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Christ even says all this right here. He's like, I've given them your word. They've been given the filter. They've been given the boundaries. They've been given what will constrain the way that they see the world. But I'm not praying, Father, that you remove these people from the world. We're equipping them to go into the world. I just want you to protect them from the influences of Satan as they go about the mission that they're being called to. So this was Jesus' prayer right even before going to the cross. So that's what it means to think like a Christian, to be able to see the world And to be able to interpret the world through the scriptures, through a Christian worldview. So now let's bring this to Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians 4 you have Paul. Paul is writing to a church that he had planted years previously. And it's a group of people that life is hard right now and it's about to get a whole lot harder. Persecution is there and growing. There's antagonism towards the gospel Um, They're in in a place and in a culture where Christians are seen as these ignorant, backwoods, dumb people. They're surrounded by paganism and arrogance because of thought and because of all these different things. And life is hard for Christians. And it's about to get really hard. And Paul knows this because he's in jail himself. As he's writing this, he's in prison. And he knows that this is what's coming for a whole lot of people that he dearly loves and cares for. So he's writing to these people because he wants them to have peace. 
He wants them to still find joy in Christ no matter what's going on in the world around them. And he knows that the things going on around them are about to get worse. And he wants desperately peace for this group of people that he loves so much. And so even look at the layout of the text. In verse 7, it starts out and it says, And the peace of God will guard your hearts and mine. And then you skip down to verse 9, and how does it end? And the God of peace will be with you. There's this emphasis there, and it's, if you will, the bread for the meat that's found nice and where it's supposed to be, right in the middle. All of you Adkins people and stuff, you're missing out. It's unbiblical. My wife's doing that right now. I shouldn't say that. Um, I shouldn't say that either. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, all right. I need another month. I'll see you guys later. Um, no. The peace of God is the goal. The peace of God is the e- emphasis. This is what he's pushing and what he wants so much for his people. But the peace of God doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It's not just something we go, God, send me your peace, and then just sit back and wait for the peace to arrive. Oh, now we've got it. There, there, there's something to this. There's something he's teaching us that he's trying to show us here. And we see it here in the layout of the passage. The peace of God and the peace of God, how? You need to understand the power and the influence of the things you think about, the way you think, and then later, and this is for next week, and the way you actually do or do not do those things. They have immense power in your life and will directly affect your ability to experience the peace of God in difficult situations. This is what Paul's saying to us. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. And now look, on all these things, Jeff's disclaimer, everything I'm preaching to you, I'm learning, especially right now, and I'll get to some of that here in just a little while. So pretend I'm with you still, right? But what can happen is, is I can preach on a Sunday like I did a month ago or so about fear and anxiety. Let's use that one for an example. And I'll get emails from people like Sunday and Monday, like, that was for me. How did you know? Like your husband called me. No. Um, <clears throat> how did you know? How did you know that that was for me? And I'm, I'm, in that case, I was telling them, no, that was for me. But, but this is what will happen. Like we, we'll sit here under that teaching and we're, we're studying the, God's word and we feel, even in that moment as it's coming, don't you feel peace? Don't you feel that even though the fear and anxiety is there, but suddenly there's this relief, there's this help, there's someone who cares. There's, like you feel it in that moment, Right? So that's all good. That's Sunday. Maybe Monday. How are we doing Wednesday? Well, a, a lot of people, by the time it gets to Wednesday, can end up at a place where they're like, well, I tried it. Didn't work. Felt good Monday, but then I went back to work and uh, all that stuff left. Well, before we blame God and say, well, his word didn't come true for me. Um, I said the magic prayer and it never came or any of those kind of things. Before we lay blame at God's feet, we have to actually pause for just a minute and at least give ourselves honest assessment before we start blaming God for everything. So, okay, let's think about it. On Sunday, I felt some peace. Okay, well, what were we doing on Sunday? We were worshiping. We were praying. I was with God's people. I was studying God's word. I was focusing on all these things and I felt peace. Awesome. What were you doing Tuesday? Work, well, work. I got called in early, so I didn't really have a chance for devotions that morning, and I, you know, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. The stress and anxiety, or the, 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 the. Okay, well, on Wednesday, were we doing the things that happened actually on Sunday when we were experiencing that peace? Because Paul's giving us promises here. 
Even talking to a brother just recently about some of the stuff with my own things I've been wrestling with, he was even reminding me, like, I, I think these are promises, man. I don't think these are like, hey, for some of you, if you do this, it might work. Give it a try. If it doesn't, I don't know, find another counselor. Find, you know, what? There's some promises in Scripture here that, hey, hey, there's some things here that you can do that directly affect your ability to experience the actual peace of God in your life. And so the problem, though, is, is that in our day and age, we don't like to be told what to do or how to think. And that's what Paul's doing. You got to do these things. You got to think this way. And we're, this is the postmodern world, right? We don't tell anyone how to think. All truth is relative. Any truth you have is true for you. But instead, we have kind of the insights where we talk more about how we feel. I even got called out for this. I'll get to that a little later. And talking with someone else where I was just like, I just feel like, and he's like, just stop. I feel like means nothing to anyone else except you. Like, I feel like. Who cares, Jeff, what you feel like? What do you know? What do you know? Not relative truth that's here and there and come and gone. What are the things you know? Because here's the truth. The postmodern world we live in, and when, when we refer to a postmodern world, that's a, a name that sociologists and philosophers have given to, to kind of the time and age that we live in where they say, okay, no truth can be known for everyone all the time. There are no absolute truths. So it is not all right for a Christian to say marriage should only be between man and woman. That's your interpretation, but truth for someone else might be something completely different, and we can't make any claims to absolute truth, truth or knowing everything. And that's what's being taught in schools. That's what's being taught in universities. That is the dominant worldview out there in in the world around us right now. Here's the problem with that. Um, It stirs up all sorts of questions and then leaves the people hanging with nothing to stand on. And what, what's being discovered is that that's happening with young people. So um, a while back, I got to talk with Ravi Zacharias and go to a thing that he did up in Alaska, and he was talking about this. He was saying, in their ministry now moving forward, they're focusing on youth. And the reason is, is he said, when I go speak somewhere, when I go to debates, when I do stuff, it's the young people that are coming forward with the questions. Um, the older people want, like, their picture with me. It's the young people that are coming up and going, but what about, and I need to know about, and he said, because what I'm finding is, is that the postmodern worldview has taken away all foundations away from our kids. It's caused them to question everything, but it's giving them nothing in replace for them to stand on. And so they're finding out that they have nothing to rely on and they're angry. They're angry. They believe they can't trust anything, which means I can't trust anything. And then they're angry. And so things about feelings, which come and go, all that stuff doesn't matter. We need to know what can we rely on when anxiety or fear or persecution or difficulty or prison or death or whatever comes, what can I stand on in that moment? Because I don't have time to debate feelings. I need help, God. What do I do? This is what Paul's talking about here in this text. Not about feeling, not about believing, but about what is it and how is it that we think and then what do those thoughts, how does that play out into what we do? Christianity, man, people want to chase feelings all the time and want to chase emotions and want to chase experiences in religion and those things have their place and can be incredibly beneficial but you always at some point have to come back to what is it that we know? What are these feelings based on? What are these emotions pointing me to? What is it that I know? And in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I, I don't believe that this is Paul's, I want you to focus on these 10 things. I think Paul's sort of gushing a little bit. I think Paul's going, guys, if there's anything that's like true, if it's pure, if it's, I think he could have kept going, if it's encouraging, if it's building you up, if it's pointing you to Jesus, if it's, I think he could have kept going and going, but he's making a point here. Hey, the way you think and what you think about and what you are consuming and chewing on and allowing to be the dominant influences in your life are going to directly affect your ability to experience the peace of God, especially when hard times come. So we think think on these things. The word is logitzmo. It's where we get the word logic. And what it means literally is to bring all your faculties to bear on this thing. Our reason, our thought, all of those things. It could even include emotions to bring all these things to bear on this. Where do we land? What do we stand on? Bring all of your faculties to bear on these things. And this is what I think Paul's trying to get us to do here. He's trying to get us to groove ourselves in. I don't mean like groove ourselves in. I mean like, like a record player, groove. He's trying to groove ourselves into things that are leading us towards, like to, to make our, even our thought patterns habitual, like muscle memory, so that when hard times come, our reaction is to go, but I'm thinking about Jesus, so that when difficulties come, but my mind is on Jesus, my focus is on Jesus, I am grooved so that no matter what it is that comes my way, I'm still being pointed towards the person of Jesus Christ, who is my hope. And th- th- all of these things, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is true. Jesus is honorable. Jesus is just. Jesus is pure. Jesus is lovely. Jesus is commendable. Jesus is excellent. Jesus is worthy of praise. Jesus is the one he's pointing us towards. And he wants to groove our lives into that focus towards Jesus. This is Paul's goal here. And what we set our minds on can set us up to do one of two things. It can put us in a rut that we can't get out of, or it can put us in a groove that's leading us somewhere. And the place Paul's trying to lead us to is the peace of God that passes even the circumstances that are around us. That's what we want. Don't we want that? Don't you want peace? I honestly, I regret in some ways, uh, we, we named this series early on for whatever it's worth. We said joy no matter what. But I, more and more and more, I just keep reading about the peace of God even in these things, which I guess is joyful, so it still works. But this is, this is what we want. So what does that look like? What is the thought process God's grooving us into to lead us to that point? Again, I don't believe it means then we shut out anything that is not explicitly Jesus or explicitly Christian. I don't believe that at all. I believe we look at everything in the world through the lens of Jesus. He becomes, if you will, our interpretation of how we read and understand things. Like I, I, want, my Christian, I want my kids to read the Bible. Of course I do. I also want them to read To Kill a Mockingbird. It's not explicitly Christian, but there are common graces that can come through things like that. I believe, lock the doors, I believe there are appropriate times for an R-rated movie. <gasps> well, passion. No, just <laughs> beyond even that. Like, if you're, if you're trying to create a movie that, 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 to the best of your ability, expresses the realities of what war looks like, how do you do that in rated G? 
How do you make Band of Brothers G and have it still represent what actually happened to these men and women over there? I, I'm not talking about, you know, don't go, no, I can go see the hangover. Stop it. That's not what I mean at all. <laughs> but look, when we were in Israel, we went to the Holocaust Museum. That would be at least rated R. But there's a place and a benefit for that. But then you go, but, but, but if we do that kind of stuff, and oh, you surely you're not talking about secular music. I, there's tons of secular music that I love and that I can be blessed by. Here's the difference. You go, Jeff, but aren't you worried that that, that will cause your kids and lead them off? Couldn't, couldn't seeing a certain movie that's not Christian or hearing a certain song that's not Christian or reading a certain book that's not Christian lead them into something that's not Christian? Yes, it can. Yes, it could for any one of us. But here's the difference. We, we also need to teach them the word of God and who Jesus is because we're trying to give them the interpretation for the world all around them, not hide them and shelter them for the world so that suddenly everything when they turn 18 is a shock and they have no frame of reference for how to process it, but to give them the truth so that when the lies come, they know what to do with it. To help them understand why people that do some of the things that they do, that they're looking for something desperately and they don't understand it. So instead of looking at the world as enemies, having empathy towards them and wanting to see them meet the Savior that saved us. But most Christians, when you take that Christian, amen, when you take that Christian bubble worldview, a lot of times, if that's your whole worldview, you, you lose the ability to empathize. You lose understanding for the things people are doing. You lose understanding for the world they're in. And the only thing you can do to engage the world around is just point your finger. That's wrong. That's wrong. You need to change that. Well, that's not the kind of light of the world God meant for us to be. It's not a spotlight to expose every failure. It is to be a light ourselves to the world around us. And so I want my kids to be able to engage the world with the, with the gospel. That's why even in Deuteronomy, what does it say? You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be like frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, taking, or talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What's he saying? You're always talking to your kids about Jesus. Who's he saying it to? A people that he's leading into a pagan land. He's going, look, you're going to talk to your kids all the time. You're going to tell them about Jesus. The word, it's going to be as if the Bible was glued to their head so that they're always aware of the truths of Scripture. They know all of these things, and they're going to be able to interpret and engage. Remember, the whole role of Israel was, I, I will bless other nations through you. They were a missionary nation in a pagan world. And so the truth is given to them so that they can see and understand, but they weren't bubbles to remove themselves from the rest of the world. That was never the whole point. And if Satan can get to Adam and Eve in Eden, he can get through your Christian bubble too. So to feel that we can just protect our kids or ourselves from any degree of influence out there and that that will make us safe, I assure you it's a false premise. If Satan can get to Adam and Eve in perfection, he'll get to us too. And so this is what we're after. We want to be in the world, not of it. We want to be aware of things that are going in the world, fine. But that's not our focus. That's not our meat. It's not what we're chewing on. It's not the thing that guides and constrains the way that we think. We focus and dwell on truth. And that's how we think like a Christian. That's how we think truthfully. And today, truth's defined as personal opinion, but there are hard, fast, reliable, dependable, gracious, and good truths in Scripture. 
about everything from sexuality, work, relationships, marriage, life, death, and on and on and on. And so many people will look at these things, and we even do this ourselves if we're honest, look at the way God calls us to look at and think about certain things, and we see them as constricting, confining, and closed-minded, but they're not. God is trying to groove us towards something that is better for us. Something that is better than what we can possibly understand. He's putting barriers or guardrails up, if you will, for how we think because he is wooing us to joy and peace. And this is the gift that we have in Scripture. So let's think about it for a second. Is your marriage causing you anxiety? Is your marriage causing you fear, doubt, worry, discouragement? You have options. You can think about things the way the world does, You can say, well, clearly we were never meant to be together. We didn't even know who we were at the time that we got married, and now I'm just figuring out who I am, and who I am is certainly not who she is, and so clearly we just weren't a good fit. So that's okay. It's okay. Start over. We'll just start over. We can divorce, no-fault divorce in Oregon thing, 45 days we're dating. Start over. You can listen to the words of coworkers that are saying, I'm so glad I got out of that marriage. I'm so glad I got away from her. I'm so glad all those kinds of things. You can choose to allow those to be the things that become your guardrails and your thought patterns, or you can do the hard work of choosing to think about marriage through the lens of Scripture. One of them leads you to chaos, pain, and difficulty. One of them leads to joy and peace in God. So which one? As Moses would say, I'm laying before you two paths, one to life and one to death, and I'm pleading with you that you would choose life what about your job i am not fulfilled in my job i'm i'm not saying that i'm just speaking theoretically i'm i am i am not fulfilled in my job my boss is a jerk i come home stressed out i end up taking it out on my family that's not my fault that's job's fault i know all this stuff and on and on and on and i just i can't deal with it anymore it's not a christian place anyway they're just a bunch of pagans i need to just move on and get out of there now it absolutely very well be that God wants to move you out of that job to somewhere else. And I pray that God would move you from that into a place where you feel fulfilled, where you can wake up excited to go do what God has called you to do. But if you start thinking about that next job as the thing that's going to bring the fulfillment and the peace and be the savior for your current stressful situation, you're going to find that you've made an altar or an idol out of something, and you don't have to read too much scripture to find that God has a way of tearing altars and idols down. You're going to put all your hope in something, and it's just going to crush you. So we can think about our job in terms of its mission aspect or opportunity to be light in the world despite what's coming towards us and all of those things. It's hard. It's hard. Amen? It's hard. But one leads to peace and one road leads to chaos. And Moses, as he said to the people, I'm begging that you choose life. There's so many more things like that. It goes on and on. We could talk about um, sex, relationship, family, our future, politics, Those of you that think November is going to fix everything, if your guy gets voted in, if there was ever a year to realize that's not true, clearly it's now, right? (laughs) Like, if if I can't get through to you now, I just have to give up. Like, I don't, I don't know. That's not our hope. That's not our hope. And who is our identity anyway? I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Libertarian. I'm a Christian. My king's already in office. That's who I'm to look at. 
And so when I have that mindset, then when the election comes, I can have peace no matter who accepts the microphone and gives the victory speech at the end of the night that night. Because God's in control. My king still wins, no matter how many votes he gets. So there's peace in those things. But listen, the Bible, it'd be really easy to take this text the way we most of the time look at it and talk about those sorts of issues, even morality and purity and all these things, that this is what we're supposed to think on. These are the things that we're to surround our mind and our heart and our soul with. And this is the thing that constrains who we are and helps define how we react and all that stuff. But, But how about this one? What about how you think about you? What about when you're thinking about yourself, about who you are, who you've been, how you grew up, how you are now, the situation you're in? When you're thinking about you, what do you think about? What truths guide how you see yourself and how you interpret yourself? This is what the Lord's been wrecking me with lately. This is what the Lord has had me chewing on like crazy. I am thankful for the sabbatical season that's been given me. I didn't want it at first. I kicked and screamed against it in some ways, but as it has uh, um, uh, played out, I'm seeing the benefit in my family, in my own soul. More than anything, I'm seeing the benefit in my relationship with my wife. Um, In fact, though, I'm gonna be teaching the next couple of weeks. The board actually has extended for two weeks my office hour time into two more weeks of sabbatical simply because now our kids are all in school. First time in 12 years, it's amazing. We get these chunks of time in the day with no one there. And they're just like, you and Bronwyn can just be you and Bronwyn and reconnect in ways that you just unknowingly, we just, life gets busy, you know? So I'm super, super thankful for all that stuff. But... There's one thing I did learn from this. If you teach on anxiety, be careful. <laughs> Sometimes you think you're being vague and you're not. Even some of the reactions that I got from some of you guys were. And so when some brothers came up to me the next week and they were even saying things to me like, Jeff, it just seems like you're running. It just seems like you're running from something. And, and it took a lot of humility in me to just go, dude, I am. I'm exhausted. Um, I, I, I'm allowing myself to be distracted by things that I shouldn't. There's tension at home with this new addition in our family and walking through the realities of having a, a, a foster kid who has major attachment and abandonment issues and figuring all that out. It's been really hard and there are all sorts of things that we just talked about and I was like, you're totally right, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of running. And so, so I started going to a counselor. I don't know if that freaks you out. It's okay if it did freak my daughter out when she found out. You're going to counseling? What's wrong? Are we Okay. Um, really did freak her out, but led to a really great discussion. And I, I was telling her, I said, Hannah, so, so when, when you're having a hard time or when seasons are harder, when you just need some perspective or some advice, who do you go to? She was like, I go to mommy and daddy. Yeah. And people at the church, who do they go to? And they can go to you or pastors or elders, whatever in the church. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, so I, I should have somebody to go to. And so uh, I started going to a, a ferociously gospel-centered man here in the valley named Randy Young. I'm only saying, I wasn't going to say his name because we were still trying to find a permanent slot with him because he was just all, but now we got one, so I don't care if you call him anymore. So, um, so I'm going to see this guy named Randy Young, and um, it's the scariest and one of the most painful things in a good way that I've ever done in my life. By the way, Jeremy warned you guys a couple of weeks ago, I heard it, where he said, I know sometimes Jeff's really exposed and really open about himself, and if, maybe it freaks you out a little bit, so you were already warned and you still came back, so whatever. But, um, 
But I started going to see Randy Young and just talking through some different stuff, and he just started kind of filleting me open a little bit. He started talking about my past, about my upbringing, my relationship with my dad, about all these different kind of things. And, and honestly, like for, for most of my life, I've always been that guy that was just like, just stop crying, get up, put your big boy pants on and go to work, dude. You're an adult. Okay, you had it rough. Everybody had it rough at some point. Just go be who you are and stop your whining and sniveling. But then Randy, um, I've seen this through other interactions, even with a lot of you guys and stuff, that our past doesn't have to like define who we are, but it plays a big role in setting those grooves about where we might be headed in life, right? So I go and I'm sitting with him and I'm talking with him about all these things and he he starts doing all these things, like pull, he, he pulled memories out of me that I haven't thought about in 25 years, that I had totally forgotten about. And I'd be mad at him for doing it. And, and, and so let me give you one of the examples that he was able to bring something up, show me how that's affecting, how it is grooving me towards something that's not healthy for me, and then bring the truth in, okay? So a little example here. So this story ends up coming up. I don't even remember how, it doesn't matter. When I was growing up, um, my relationship with my dad, I've told you guys before, I would almost always characterize it as one where I am a frustration to him. That was pretty much the way, like if you tell me, Jeff, picture your dad right now, what does he look like? I'd say frustrated. He's always frustrated. The, the one time or one of the few times that I can in my mind go back to a place where I felt that my dad was proud of me would be when I was playing basketball. I can remember one game in particular where I was just killing it. This didn't happen all that often, but it was like everything I threw up went in. Coach never took me out the whole game, crushed it, beat the better team. Like it was just, it was like my 15 minute or whatever it was, Michael Jordan moment, never to be felt again, right? You know that? And I can remember walking out of that game and it was cold outside and I'm all sweaty. I remember my dad like with a sweatshirt thing, like here, you got to get warm up, man. We don't want you to get sick. Like he's, he's like covering me up. I'm like, this is weird, dad. What are you doing? Like he's, that wasn't him. So, so I can remember finding approval when I was doing things well like that. But another story came up regarding basketball that I remembered that I'd forgotten about, and it was this. My dad would tell me when he and I would play basketball together, like one-on-one at the neighborhood park or in our backyard, there was a dirt court thing. Um, he had this thing that he would always say, and we didn't play very often, but he said, the day you beat me is the last time we play. And he would say that all the time. It comes off like a joke, right, dads? I mean, you might say that to your kid, but you wouldn't mean that, right? But I remember it. I remember the shot. I remember where I was on the court. I remember it going through the hoop and me going, yes, I won. And turning around and his back was already to me and he was already walking down the hill towards the house. And I remember saying, oh, come on, dad, really? Come on. Dad. And by the time he got to the house and was turning the corner to go in, I was apologizing for winning. And he never played basketball with me again ever. And you go, well, you're a kid. You should get over that. You should go forward. What kind of effect does that have? I'll tell you what kind of effect that's had on me that I'm seeing now is it teaches a kid when he's young that you find approval when you're doing everything really, really well. And when you let someone down, you better fix it or something because if you don't, they're going to leave. And you got to remember, fast forward, he did. He left our family. He abandoned our whole family. So now carry that into later life. Carry that into ministry. So you go from, that's a performance-driven life, right? That's what it is. Like, I need to do everything right, and I can't let anyone down, or I'll be rejected. Now carry that into ministry, especially in this valley. Man, you people change churches like crazy in this valley. It's just, right? 
And so there's all these people that I love and that I'd be pouring into and that I'd be talking to. And then for whatever reason, for good godly reasons or for ones that I thought were stupid, whatever the case may be, when they would leave, it would spin me out. When the phone call would come, I have to answer it. If I don't, they'll leave. Day off, doesn't matter. Middle of the night, doesn't matter. Whatever we're doing, prior obligations, doesn't matter. And so the effects that that has had on my life over the last 43 years have been significant. I'm discovering ways in which I've allowed ministry to crush my wife because ministry trumped it. And the whole time I think I'm nailing it, right? So having to reorient and realizing, no, I'm not in a groove towards anything that's peaceful. I'm in a rut, And I'm thinking the same way over and over and over and over. And so then Randy comes in and he comes in with truth. He says, Jeff, I have two things I want to share with you. Number one, you're not that big a deal. Like you are accepting it on your own shoulders. You will fix everybody. You will serve everybody. You will help everybody. You will please everybody. You are taking on the role that is God's role. You yourself are not that big a deal. And then coming to church that week, and I don't mean this in a way that I want you to feel sorry for. I want you to feel good for me for saying this. Coming to church during that time and seeing things thriving, I'm like, he's right. It's God's church. It's not Jeff's church. It's God's church. And then he said, and (laughs) the second thing is, he's like, Jeff, and you know this, but you already have more approval than you could ever possibly get from anyone else or any number of people on the face of the earth because you have the approval of God. And those are incredible truths. Now, here's the problem. When you're in a rut, you don't default to those. Like, I would be talking with him, and the first three weeks of our conversations were me honestly saying about 100 times a meeting, I know that. I know that. It's the gospel. Preach it all the time. I say these things all the time. I say this stuff all the time. I know all that kind of stuff. But when you're in the rut and the event actually happens, you don't know it right then. You know what I mean? When the tragedy comes, sometimes you get spun out. You don't default to that truth right then. What do you, you default to the worst possible scenario. And so if I experience rejection or if I experience hardship or if I failed and I'm worried I've disappointed anybody, I wasn't defaulting to the gospel at all. I'm defaulting to me. Well, that's who I've been. Blew it again. Let people down again. That's where the truth of scripture has to come in, reprogram our minds and set new boundaries along that lane that says, no, I want to groove you towards peace, Jeff. You're not sleeping, you're not eating, you are freaked out about who's gonna be mad about two services times, you're freaked out about who's gonna be mad about worship volume, you are freaked out about who's gonna be mad because you don't have time to hang out, you are freaked out about all these different things. That stuff doesn't matter, Jeff. I'm the one that I want you to focus on. I'm the one that I want you to look towards. And if every single person at Heritage walks out that door and all of them say they're doing it because they specifically don't like you, you have me, you win. But man, that's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? That's why Paul says, think on these things. Chew on these things. Reprogram your mind on these things. Jeff, you've drifted into a place where you're reading the Bible for the purpose of teaching it to someone else. You forgot to teach it to you. Jeff, meditate on this stuff. Now, there are 
total benefits to only meditating at seasons on the things of Christ. I want to make that clear. Like, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't be meditating on the scriptures when I said that earlier. Of course I mean that. That's not what I'm saying. But there are significant times where we should go, I need to reorient my life around these truths and allow God to groove me in towards what he has, which is so much better for me than what I have put myself in this rut trying to achieve. And that's where I've been for the last little while. And so... Here I have a counselor paying money to him to tell me what I've been saying for free for a really long time, right? You know how dumb that seems? And you know what the point was? Jeff, the gospel. Jeff, Jesus. Jeff, the gospel. And I'm not there yet. I'm, Randy and me are going to know each other for years, most likely. But shoot, when you got 40-some years of history, that doesn't get unwound overnight. And it, whatever history you have, it's not going to happen that way for you either. That's why Paul says to us over and over and over. You know what Randy calls it? And then we'll be done. He says, Jeff, this idea about, oh, our youth and those things don't affect us. Of course they do. The Bible even refers to it. You know what the Bible calls that part of our life? The old man. And you learn the old man as you're growing up as a kid. You learn these things as you're growing, but now you've been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's time to put the old man to death with the truth of Jesus Christ and now start living like the new man that God is turning you into to get out of the rut, get out of the pigsty, just like the guy um, in the prodigal son to realize it is better to be a servant in the house of the Lord than out here trying to do things on my own and turn around and go back to the arms of your father and be reminded and grooved in towards him by these truths in scripture. And so this is what the Lord spoke. This, just before you email me, today's sermon is for me. This is what the Lord has been preaching to me. My prayer is that as I'm sharing with you the things that God is speaking to me, I'm certain, I see the nods, like he's speaking that to all of us. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may approve what is right and good. Be transformed, be changed. Think on these things, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And if we just want to make it, some of you know this, there's like a word, I think it's like Tienerplatt or something where you can remember all these things in order, depending on which translation you read. There's an easier way of summarizing these things. Just Jesus. Think about Jesus. Learn about Jesus. Seek Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Look at the world around you through the lens of Jesus. And look at yourself through the lens of Jesus, which can provide honesty about your sins and failures, but it opens you up to the grace and approval and love that the Father has for you and for me. Amen? Will you guys stand with me? Let's pray. And uh, it, I, I'm going to pray for me, and you pray for you, okay? God, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have areas of our lives that are still in a rut. Lord, places where we allow fear, anxiety, sin, all sorts of things to, to end up directing and guiding our life to a place where we are not experiencing the peace and love of God. But God, I want your peace. 
I need your peace, and I see you moving me towards your peace, even using the difficult things of the past, the sins, the failures, all of those things. Even abandonment that I've experienced with my own father, I I see how loyal you are. That though mother and father may fail, you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. So God, for me and for those who are joining with me, praying for themselves at the same time, God, will you grant us the grace to continue to reorient our lives towards you and your peace? Will you continue to show us, Lord, areas of repentance and change? Will you continue to direct us, Lord, towards your peace, towards what you have for us? Will you give us the strength and the courage by your Holy Spirit to deal with everything from sin and disappointment to legalism to false beliefs? Lord, help us to to, to hear and understand the world that's going on around us, but Lord, may your truth be that which guides us, which is on the forefront of our minds, which is what we see the world through. And Lord, may that make us compassionate, kind. May it put us on mission to share your gospel with others. And Lord, in a season where, like for myself, may it be a deep comfort to our souls to know how much we are loved, how much we are cared for, in spite of our failures. And then, Lord, may that guide us toward a life you approve of, knowing we have your approval, but then, Lord, may the things that we do, as we talk even next week about that, be things that bring joy and approval to your heart and are a light and a salt to the world around us. I pray, God, for for me and others who may have experienced hurting or difficulty or any of those things, and I pray, God, that we would continue to see that your word in Romans is true, that you will use all things together for good for those who are called according to your purposes, that we can see even the hard places of life are things that you're using to build character, even as, as Mitch and others so faithfully taught us over the last month. And I thank you, God, for your grace in my life. For no one in this room needs it more than me. My only argument with Paul is when he says he's the chiefest of sinners. But I'm so thankful that your grace has covered every sin, failure, and shortcoming that any of us could possibly ever have or ever will have. So Lord, may our lives be reoriented towards you. May we walk out of this place now, Lord, grooved in towards your grace. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Next week, what time? I love you guys. Have a great, great, great week.